This morning we're going to continue in Luke, move on to chapter 11. I titled the message, When You Pray. So you know we're going to be talking about the Lord's Prayer, When You Pray. But you know, when I, I think about the relationship that Jesus' disciples had with Him during His earthly ministry, during His three years of His ministry upon this earth, in a practical way, I think of an apprentice. You know, I, when you think of an apprentice, uh, you know, we have many different uh, crafts in our, in our neighborhood. You've got boiler makers and iron workers and carpenters and machinists and mechanics. You've got all these things. Well, whenever a young man decides he wants to learn a trade, he'll often, or an old one, he'll often, or a woman, I'm sorry, or a woman, they often become an apprentice in one of these crafts. And they will work alongside the mechanic or the boiler maker or the carpenter or whomever. And usually it's about a three or four year apprenticeship that they'll work right alongside of them learning the trade. And you know, yet we can, they can go to the school and they can study the books and study the books. But the best learning experience is to be out there getting your hands dirty if it's one of those type of jobs, grabbing those tools and learning how to do it. In an apprenticeship, after a young man works, or woman works with them for a while, after a while, the journeyman or the master, he'll, step, he'll hand him the tools and step back and say, all right, let's see what you got. And in a way, I look at Jesus' disciples as apprentices. They walked with him day and night for several years. And we know from a couple chapters ago that he sent them out. He empowered them with the Spirit and sent them out, told them to go and heal the sick, deliver those that are possessed, and to preach the kingdom of God is coming, the same things that he was doing. He sent the disciples out to do that. So when I think of all that they were able to witness, the miracles that they saw, the teachings they heard, we know that oftentimes Jesus would share parables, and the disciples were fortunate enough that they would have a private time where he would interpret the parable for them. All these things. They witnessed these wonderful, amazing things, but yet we'll see in today's passage, they ask one of the most simple things. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. One of the most important things that we as a Christian can do is pray. Let's go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who has indebted, is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I know that we are most accustomed to the King James Version, and I'll go ahead and take a moment, and we'll go over that. It's our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts or forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We say that every week, don't we? But we have to, you know, what a wonderful prayer. Let us go to the Lord in prayer now. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you. Praise you for your grace and your mercy. Father, we thank you that you sent your Son. We thank you that he taught the disciples who then went out and continued to teach and continued to write and share the amazing things that Jesus did and share the things that they were able to do. And Father, we thank you for your word, Father, that we have to teach us. Lord, to teach us of the, your love, to teach us of your grace, teach us of so many wonderful things, but also to teach us how to pray. And Father, I just pray that your spirit would be upon us, Father, that we would be faithful to you in all that we do, that your spirit would guide us and, and just empower us, Lord God, to accomplish your plans and your purposes upon this earth. And Father, again, we pray that your peace would be with us today. Father, as we meet together in your name, just bless us with your glorious presence. In Jesus' name, amen. So there were many occasions when the, G, when G, the disciples, I'm going to have a hard time talking this morning, when the disciples observed Jesus praying. Yes, they observed many miracles and teachings, but they also observed him praying often. In Luke 3, 21 and 22, it says, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. In Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, it says, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray, and, to, and he continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. So they knew that he was out there all night long on the mountain praying, praying to the Father. And in Luke chapter 9, verses 20, verse 28, Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up onto the mountain to pray. He chose those three that seemed to be his closest of the twelve apostles and went up on the mountain to pray. You know, the... Children's Sabbath school here at church. You know, a lot of churches, when someone volunteers to be the Sunday school or Sabbath school teacher, well, they may be stuck with that job for five years, ten years, or they might think, well, I'm never going to get out of here. But we do it quarterly. Someone will take the, I mean, it gives them a change, but, you know, it gives us also an opportunity to be with the adults. So we do it every quarter. Uh, and I was the teacher in the young children's class last quarter. Um, we haven't begun this quarter <laughs> with the Sabbath school. But I was blessed to have the children last quarter. And at the beginning of my quarter, I informed the kids, or asked the kids, I said, I would like you guys to begin the Sabbath school class for us with prayer. And I want you to take turns to let each one of them begin the class with prayer to learn how to pray. And what do you think the first questions were? What do I say? How do I pray? Do I have to? Yes, the answer, the answer was yes. So it was good, and you can see how they've grown in their prayer in that quarter that I, that I was there with them. But the first thing that I explained to them was, 
kids, it's like talking, you talk to God. Now, for us adults, don't, that too shouldn't be there. We talk with God means we are going to listen too. Let's just not talk at God, but listen to God as part of prayer. But I said to them, we need to give God thanks. That's a very important part of our prayers. Our prayers don't have to be real long. They don't have to be, you know, hour long. They don't have to be. They don't have to be with elegant, elo eloquent words. See, I can't even say it. You just talk from your heart. That's what prayer is, friends. Communicating with God from the heart. I found a story of a prayer, and it's a true story. And it was just titled, Lucky Prayer, or Lucky Prayer, I should say. Back in September of 1996, a man named Eduardo Sierra, he was a citizen of Spain, and he was on a business trip to Sweden. And as he was driving through the Swedish countryside, he came upon a Catholic church. And he decided, well, I'm going to stop by for a few moments and at least to say a prayer. Well, as he entered into the church, the church was completely empty except for a coffin with a body laying at rest in it. So Eduardo, he took a few moments to pray, and then he thought, well, I'm going to stop by this man's coffin and say a prayer. So he stopped by, and he prayed over the man. And then he signed the book of remembrance before he left. And then he noticed that his signature was the only one in the book. No one else had signed the book. So apparently he was the only one that came to visit the man laying in the coffin. Well, some weeks later, Eduardo received a telephone call informing him that he was a millionaire. The body was that of a Swedish businessman who had no close relatives, so he decided to leave his fortune to whoever prays for his soul. Eduardo did. Now, some of you might be saying, wow, why couldn't I get that lucky? Stop by a funeral and pray for some guy and get a million dollars? But some of you that may know me probably know what I'm going to tell you next. If you have prayed the sinner's prayer, if you've asked God to forgive you of your sins, if you've invited Jesus Christ into your hearts, you have been blessed beyond measure, and you have re received something much more valuable than all the money in the world. And that is eternal life, right? More than all the money in the world. Because it's going to perish. We know from recent sermons that the disciples went out on their own. As I already said in the beginning, they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They did some of the same miracles that Jesus did. But now they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray to the Father. They were basically asking the same thing the children asked me. And I'm glad they did because they give us this model to go by. And I believe that Jesus is very intentional. I know He's very intentional with the order of what we call the Lord's Prayer. You know, oftentimes we're tempted to, Oh God, you, I need this, I need that. Lord, I, I need more food in the cupboards. Lord, I need a nicer car. Lord, I, Lord, open that door for that job for me. Lord, I need, I need, I need. And sometimes it's all me, me, me. Is what our prayers turn out to be. They're like a shopping list. But that's not the way it should be. It should begin with God. It should begin with God. That's the model He gave us. 
The God that created the universe. The God that made us. It should begin, our Father in heaven. This is a very important part of the prayer. Because we are identifying Him. We are identifying who He is and where He dwells. When we, when we begin with our Father, we are stating who and what He is to us individually. When we say our Father, we're identifying as His children, we're identifying Him as the Father of all. It is a statement of faith in Him. It is a statement that we trust in Him. He is our Father because He created us. He is the one who breathed the breath of life into man, the giver of life. Another important reason that we identify, we're not going to have this one up there. You know, if you look in Acts chapter 17, and Paul goes in to preach and he's... Where was he going? I have to back up here. Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considered the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, Him I proclaim to you. That's why we identify who we're praying to. As His children, once we accept Christ, yes, we can just say, Father, I praise you. But oftentimes I identify God as the creator of the universe or the father of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob or Jehovah or the great I Am. We identify with Him because believe me, there's many false gods out there. There were temples to Diana, there was temples to Baal, all kinds of temples out there. All kinds of false gods. We must identify with the one true God. As I said though, when we are His, he knows who we're talking to. 2 Corinthians 6.18 says, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. My friends, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There are sons and daughters. So we can identify him as father, because we, even Gentiles, we are his children. You know, from a human perspective, a father is to be a role model. They're to be a role model to their children. They are to live a godly example before their children. They are to be nurturing. They are to be compassionate. They are to be their protector of their family. They are to be the provider of their family. They are to be responsible, strong. And can I call two things the most important things? I can. I can say the two most important things. <laughs> they need to be there. You can't be much of an example if you're not there. So fathers need to be there for their family, for their children. And they need to teach them about God. If someone was here, I'd hope we'd get an amen for that. They need to teach them about God. Deuteronomy 6, 4-7 through says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. A good word. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Fathers, be there for your children and teach them about God.
then children will have a good understanding of what a father is to be. When we say in heaven, our Father in heaven, we are stating by faith that we believe not only that that is His dwelling place, but when we say our Father in heaven, I believe that we put a present tense on it. Our Father in heaven, right now. He is there right now. He is alive. He is well. He's listening. He's watching over us. And He is in control right now. Not the Father who was, but the Father who is. Our Father, which art in heaven. He is there today, right now. He's listening. He hears us. He hears your prayers. Amen? I did hear an amen. Thank you. Hallowed. Hallowed be your name. I'm just going through this prayer. According to Collins English Dictionary, Hallowed is used to describe something that is respected and admired. Collins says, usually because it is old, important, or has a good reputation. My friends, God has a good reputation. Now, not, I'm not trying to say this in a disrespectful way, but God's old. I don't mean that disrespectfully, right? He always was. He has no beginning, no end. So God forgive me, this is not disrespectful, but God has always been and always will be. They, thank you, Karen. They call Him the Ancient of Days. So God deserves our respect. Friends, in the world today, I think many, many areas, they've lost respect for things that used to get respect. You know, I remember a day in the city, because I grew up in the city, where a young man or young person might help an elderly person across the street. Well, today they want to knock them down and steal their purse. And you know, I think of the disrespect, I'm thinking of the elderly, that there are so many scams out there and they prey on the older people. Why? Because they've lost respect. If we respect our elders, if we respected God, we wouldn't do such things. Respect God and have respect for those that God places among you that are older and have earned that respect and have a good reputation. Moses respected God. In Exodus 3, 5, God said, Then He said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I believe there was a certain amount of fear there also. But that fear brought respect, that he obeyed God. He took his sandals off his feet and drew nearer to God. We are called to respect and to worship God. Psalms 86, 9 through 11 says, All nations whom you, shall, whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glory, glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. That last part's important. God, unite my heart to fear your name, to have the respect that I should give to God, that He so rightly deserves, because He is God. He has made us. Next, Jesus says, Your kingdom come. 
Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. You know, John the Baptist, Jesus, the twelve, the seventy, they'd all been preaching the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has come near you. That's what he told the seventy to, teach, to preach when they went out. To preach the kingdom of God has come near you. He clearly instructed them to teach that. When a person prays for the kingdom of God, he is identifying with the message of Jesus and his followers. They are inviting, they are requesting God's kingdom to come. Yes, the Holy Spirit is here now. So his kingdom is here in that sense. But there is going to be a future fulfillment where Jesus Christ returns and sets up his kingdom. And he rules from his throne. You know, we've had much discussion about all that's going on in the world today. And I know you hear so much about it all week, you don't want to hear about it now. But could it be that these things that are happening all around us to make us grow so weary of this world that we say, Lord, let thy kingdom come. Because it's going to be so much better than what we have here now. There will be no pandemics. There will be no viruses. There will be no heart disease. There will be no cancer. There will be no sickness, health, no, no disease whatsoever. There will be no poverty. I often wonder, will He want us to grow so weary of this world and what it has to offer that we'll say, Lord, let Thy kingdom come. Let Thy kingdom come. The only thing that should hold us back from saying that is, Lord, there are so many that I need to reach for You. You know, it shouldn't be, well, Lord, not now because I just got married and we want to have children. It shouldn't be, Lord, I want to see my children grow and graduate. Lord, I want to see my children have children. My grandchildren, right? I love my grandchildren. That shouldn't be what holds us back from saying, Thy kingdom come. It should be the lost souls that we are wanting to reach. That should be what holds us back from saying that. But really, nothing should hold us back from saying, Lord, Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Let that sink into our minds that Thy will be done. Because how many times have we given God the instructions for what we want done? Lord, I want it done this way, or I want it done that way. Lord, I want this to happen, or that to happen. We're all guilty of that. I'm guilty of that. It takes faith to say, Lord, Thy will be done. Thy... We need to let go and let God, if you will. Let go of our plans, our will, what we want to happen, and say, God, thy will be done. You do it. Your plans are much better than mine. Sometimes when we pray that it might be unpleasant, we might have unpleasant experiences. Jesus did. A very unpleasant experience right before he was crucified. In Luke 22, 41-44. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, away from the disciples. And he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Imagine in that hour saying, Not my will, Father, but yours be done. Willing to go to the cross. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. 
And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. In that hour, Father, that thy will be done. Praise God that he had the courage and the faith to say thy will be done at that hour because that's how we have been set free from our sins because he took them. When we understand God's goodness, we can pray thy will be done because his will is always what is best for us in the long run. Remember how he finished the scripture lesson today in Luke 11? If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Of course not. Why? Because God's nature is love. He loves you and he loves me. He will not give us something that will harm us. Because He has our best at heart. He knows what is really best for us, better than we know. There was a young boy once who said to God, He says, I've been thinking, God, and I know what I want when I become a man. He proceeded to give God the list. That list I was talking about, right? He said, when I get older, I become a man, I want to live in a big house with two St. Bernards, and I'd like to have a garden, I want to marry a tall, blue-eyed, beautiful woman. I want to have three sons, Father. I want to have a scientist, a senator, and a quarterback. He also wanted to be an adventurer and climb mountains. Oh, yes, and I'd like to drive a Ferrari. Yeah, you know, just throw that in there at the end. Well, as it turned out, the boy hurt his knee one day while playing football, so he could no longer cl climb trees, much less mountains. He married a beautiful, kind woman who was short with brown eyes. And because of his business, he lived in a city apartment, not a big house with a garden. He took cabs and rode subways instead of that expensive Ferrari. He had three loving daughters, not three sons, a nurse, an artist, and a music teacher. Neither did he get his St. Bernard's. They adopted two fluffy cats. Well, one morning the man awoke and he remembered that boyhood, boyhood prayer. And he became a little depressed. He called out to God and he says, Remember when I was a boy you told me the, and I told you the things I wanted? You didn't give me any of those things, God. God says, I could have, but I wanted to make you happy. He knows what's best for us. He wanted to make him happy. Sometimes the best thing God does for us is not give us what we ask for. Sometimes that's a hard one to take, isn't it? So not give us what we ask for. Next he said, give us day by day our daily bread. Some versions say, give us this day our daily bread. This day or day by day, friends, is the point. God's provisions are day by day. They are not stored up but they are day by day. We are to trust Him for each day. We're not to say, Lord, give me this next year's provisions, but Lord, day by day. Matthew 6, 34 says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry... Uh, yeah, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
This is the only line in the prayer that focuses on our physical needs. One line. Yet, sometimes our prayers, as I said, seem like a shopping list. I need this, I need that. But Lord, give me enough for today. Should be our prayer. Lord, provide for today. That I'll have food for the body for today. That I'll have the needs for today, whatever they may be. Lord, you know what they are. Then the next line, the New King James Version says, And forgive us our sins, as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. But the New Living Translation says, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. There are other scriptures that reveal that we will be forgiven the same way that we forgive. Matthew 7, 2 says, For with the judgment that you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Friends, to say to God, Forgive us as we forgive others is a tall order. Because oftentimes we get our feelings hurt and we carry that bitterness and that anger around with us. But we're not to do that. We are to forgive in order to be forgiven. Because bitterness can destroy. Bitterness can be like a cancer that destroys. I found a true story of forgiveness. <clears throat> they say in a small church one day toward the end of the service, a trembling woman came forward and sat in the front pew and began to ask for forgiveness. She had not been in that church for a number of years. The woman who sat directly behind her, she looked kind of shocked. She grew pale and a little nervous. And several people in the congregation looked a little bewildered and wondered if trouble would begin all over again. Because you see, there had been trouble a few years before and lots of it. There was a tragic and heartbreaking trouble of two murders and a court trial and families opposed to one another and then there was the death in the electric chair. The trembling woman was the mother of the murderer and the woman behind her, she was the wife and mother of the ones who had been murdered. What would the woman sitting behind her do? What would her reaction be? Would she be able to forgive? Well, fortunately she was. She reached forward to the trembling woman, clasped her hand, and said, I am so glad to see you back in church with us, and I forgive you. She said later that she had felt better than she had in years. She said she felt set free. Set free from the, agri agony, the anger that she held in her heart for so long. What an example for us. Because forgiving sets us free. His forgiveness sets us free from our sins, but when we forgive others, it sets us free from the bitterness. Lastly, he says, Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, God may test us, but God will never deliver us into temptation. But He will test us. You know, there are many that have struggled with temptations especially when we were new believers. You know, there were things that we struggled against, all kinds of temptations out there in the world. And we know that the devil knows what our weaknesses were or are. So when we cry out to God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, that is our crying to God to keep us from, 
to keep us from that, to temp- from that temptation. Father, that I will not fall back into it. That I will not fall back into the old ways, that I, the way I used to walk. But Father, that I will be true to You. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. That should be our prayer. And lastly, be persistent. Be persistent. He said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he shall answer from within and say, Do not be Do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me. I cannot rise and give to you. And he says, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to you because you are a friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as much as he needs. My friends, what are we supposed to do when we call out to God? Keep on. Keep on calling out. Keep on knocking. The friend was knocking at the door, right? That friend's like, I'm not going away. I'm not going away. I know you've got bread in there. I don't care if your kids are in bed, if you're in bed. He kept pounding on the door. Keep on knocking. Persistence. Don't give up in your prayers. Keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. Keep on praying. Keep on knocking on God's door, saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Keep knocking. Him who asks receives. Him who knocks, the door is open. Be persistent in your prayers to the Father. Amen.